Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Hans Schäfer. Welcome. Thank you, Rainer. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them the same set of questions in some domains that we think matter tremendously for building successful companies, and that is tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Hans, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Yeah, thanks, Reiner. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Hans, uh, CEO and founder of Hello Print. We're a marketplace for customized print products, uh, active in 13 European countries, headquartered in Rotterdam, both in Rotterdam and in Valencia, Spain, I must say. And I do what I do, um, yeah, well, because I'm obsessed by building great companies through the power of great people, I think. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 uh, years, fresh from high school, and uh, never did something else. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about your target group? Yeah, sure. So um, HelloPrint uh, print is a marketplace for customized print products, uh, as I said. So, so we're helping small and medium-sized uh, businesses, creative entrepreneurs, and marketing professionals to express their identity or to promote their business uh, via the power of customization. Uh, we do that via our own e-commerce model, um, which you can find via helloprint.com in uh, all European countries. And we're offering our services via our API model to e-commerce entrepreneurs all around the globe. Uh, so we have quite a different uh, or various uh, target group uh, of, of many yeah, business-orientated uh, uh, people uh, around the globe. But it is B2B business, right? Yeah, it's B2B and it's a little bit B2B-C, but the main target group is, um, is business-driven. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Well, uh, so it's a difficult question, but um, I, I'm a firm believer of the concept of uh, hippie hacker hustler. Uh, so basically one that builds, uh, one that creates, um, one that puts on the gas pedal. Um, and then you have three. So if I uh, need to name two additional ones, I think it would be one that solves the shit uh, from the start and one very good corporate finance guy, I think. Okay. And were these your first five hires? At Helloprint? Well, actually, uh, three of them uh, yeah, were basically um, uh, the three founders who started Helloprint. So I think I'm, generally speaking, the one who puts on the gas pedal. Uh, we, we had Michael who built uh, the shit. We had uh, Nick in the team. And we hired instantly a, a great designer to, uh, to develop the product because I think that uh, yeah, design is super, super important uh, when, you, when you start. Who we didn't hire was uh, 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 yeah, uh, what we now call our COO or, or, or our chief of staff. Maybe it's something for a later state, but if I could do it over in hindsight, I would definitely hire that from the start because it gives you so much entrepreneurial freedom to do so. And which I definitely didn't hire was a very good corporate finance uh, uh, guy. But for the next venture, I will definitely do that. If you look at it today, what are the hardest hires? So... I think most of the founders will say that that's related to developers. I think I have a slightly different view. I think it's, it's more difficult to hire very, very good talent and culture people who really understand the needs of today's work phase, uh, space, uh, workforce, but also who understands what's needed to build successful companies. And I think 
that's more relevant, but also more difficult than ever to find those great people who really can develop your team in the right way and to develop your culture. Um, so that's that's one area. Uh, recruiters, I think, is, uh, is a very, very uh, hot topic currently um, and always very skilled performance marketeers. How do you measure employee satisfaction? Yeah, well, at HelloPrint, I think we're quite obsessed by, uh, by culture and uh, employee satisfaction and happiness. So um, we measure it in various ways. Uh, we have our monthly pools uh, where we really yeah, put our toes in the water to, uh, to measure what's the current state of the, of the company. We do that on uh, company level, but also on team level. Um, we have our quarterly, more in-depth um, surveys. Uh, which we are now also doing together with Great Place uh, to Work, where we want to become a certified Great Place to Work. And we have our yeah, culture up process, as we call it. And those are individual processes throughout the year uh, where we really um, measure um, yeah, what's happening on an individual level. And um, employee happiness is also one of our top line KPIs as a company, so that also everyone in the company understands that this is a very important topic. And how do you measure uh, performance of your people? Yeah, so we are extremely performance and data driven. So we have our uh, daily, weekly, monthly uh, reports, which are spread out throughout the whole company. Uh, we have a fully transparent way of, of measuring performance. And we translate those company KPIs into team OKRs, objectives and key results. Um, and that's basically a bottom-up process uh, where everyone is involved. So there's a lot of accountability, but also ownership on, uh, on, uh, on, on, on targets, performance targets on an individual level. Uh, yeah, and we report that back. So we report that back in a structured way. So we have our, um, our daily, weekly, monthly reports, but also our monthly keynotes where we yeah, basically look back and look forward uh, towards company performance. Do you use a tool for that or do you, or how do you do that? No, we, uh, we've tried several tools and now we're back to, uh, to square one uh, by just doing it in, an, uh, in, a, in a slide deck where everyone works in. And it works really well, I must say. So, What's your take on organizational structure? How, how, how would you, what do you think what makes most sense how to structure an organization? You're the expert in this field, I think, but I, I think there's no silver bullet when it comes down to organizational structure. Uh, it, it needs to fit your culture. That's the most and foremost thing, I would say. So for us, that is a combination of um, elaborating on a very strong uh, and elaborated vision. Uh, so providing a lot of context and then give basically everyone in the teams the maximum freedom to accelerate and thrive. Um I also don't believe in, 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 in a complete flat organization and self-steering. I think it's important that there is a certain top-down uh, vision elaboration from, uh, yeah, from, from the top of the company. Uh, but but uh, for the rest, I, I firmly believe in giving as much freedom as possible to all the individual teams and the individuals yeah, to do what they think is important to, uh, yeah, to develop the company in the, in the right capacity. Question number seven is a bit tricky because I know we could do a whole podcast series with you about <laughs> that question only. Uh, but let's try anyway. Uh, what's your approach to culture? So for the next two hours, we're going to talk about this, right? No. So, yeah, you know my obsession uh, for company culture and uh, I, I will keep it short. So so for us, it's, it's the simple um, methodology of that we think that it's easy to copy a business model, but... It's very hard to copy DNA, and that's 
the reason that everything we do is based on the five core principles of our culture. So we have our nine core values. We have our fundaments of our culture of high performance, where we set targets and define how we measure. Uh, then we have the concept of freedom and responsibility, where we want to give as much freedom to the team yeah, to be themselves and develop themselves. Then we have context versus control is the fourth pillar. And the last one is our concept of designing yourself. Um, yeah, so I can talk for hours about this uh, this topic. We have a culture committee in the company, which has a very strong role with regards to this. They have a place in the management team as well. Um, and yeah, we basically followed our cultural mantra and everything. So uh, it's the basis for uh, employee retention, but it's also the firm basis for uh, for acquisition of talent. And we will never compromise on that. And yeah, it's really our fundament for, for growth and existence. You have a very strong uh, culture book. Uh, I don't know, is, is that public? Can can people check that out? Yeah, so you can uh, order it for free. So uh, we're in the printing business as well. So for every founder here, go to helloprint.com slash culture or company and you can uh, order the book for free and uh, yeah, we're happy to uh, yeah, to uh, I can, uh, I can invite very, you as well. I can very much recommend that. That's that's really that's a... Uh, That, that's a very good guide and uh, and something. I don't know if everybody would copy it exactly the same way, but definitely take a lot of inspiration from that. Yeah, so I mean, so it's a, uh, it's an evolving thing. We, we started with this many years ago and it's now in its uh, sixth edition. Uh, culture is something that evolves over time. And I think that's the most important thing. It's not uh, putting a boat in the canal of, or putting a barista in your in your company. Culture is uh, having great people and, and, and listening to them and, and Yeah, and really reflecting on what's needed and necessary uh, yeah, to evolve your company. Remote first or office first? Yeah, also in uh, in this particular point, it highly depends on your culture. I know great companies who are very, very uh, much growing uh, based on a fully remote concept. Uh, for me and for us, we love to uh, work with innovative people who thrive on, on, on inspiring each other and, and doing things together. So generally speaking, uh, we prefer a concept where we see each other as much as possible. Having said that, we also provide already from the start of the company, so not driven by COVID, maximum flexibility to those who think they can work in a different capacity. But generally speaking, we want to see each other. And I firmly, firmly believe that most innovations come from the non-standardized way of working together. Uh, and uh, having just a spark or an inspiring moment at a coffee machine or in a meeting, which you can't replicate by working on a distance. Tech. Is HelloPrint a tech company? So for sure, we are a tech company like every modern company, but we consider ourselves, we had a lot of discussions and, and talks about this uh, over the past uh, period. So we're not building a great distinct technology products. So for us, technology needs to be the strong enabler uh, and driver for growth uh, at two sides of the marketplace. So the demand side and on the supply side. So we consider ourselves really as a data company and a marketing company where tech is the most strongest enabler for growth. But that's something different than being a tech company. And also cultural wise, it's fundamentally different, I think, to be a technology company or a development company or engineering company or being a marketing slash data company. Um, yeah, so it's a different type of profile, different people. Um, and I, I think we've learned over time that we are more um, yeah, at the data and marketing side than on the technology side of doing business. 
If you think about the product team and the development team, who of the two is in the lead? Yeah, for us, it's it's always the, the product team. So the product team is as close as it can be to the actual user, so the customer. And, and in our particular case, the entrepreneur at one side, the designer in the middle, and the producer at the other side. So their needs are always leading in the development roadmap. Uh, so for us, that's, uh, that's, that, that's, that's very, very clear. Who decides what to develop next? So the customer, the designer, or the, uh, the producer, I would say, translate it into their yeah, principles in our company. So how we do that is um, uh, on a quarterly basis, we define the projects and there's always uh, a lack of tech resources. That's, uh, that's obvious in every company. And then we decide collectively based on the impact effort uh, uh, analysis, how and uh, what we uh, will uh, develop. Mm -hmm. Okay, that explains already also a little bit the process. Uh, who, who's, who takes the final call? If there, I don't know, there are two features, somebody has to decide which one to go for next. So we have a boxing ring in the company and then we put everyone in and then see who comes out uh, the strongest. No, so in the end, so if the, if the company goals are clear, Uh, yeah, we choose deliberately uh, what has the most impact, and you want to rationalize that. But obviously, you you you, it's never a a black or white thing. So in the end, uh, if if the the people in the company can't come up with uh, the the right choices, there, it's in the end my final call uh, to ensure uh, that we can keep developing uh, in in the in the right pace. What's your take on product led growth? Um, I would say it's essential because only growing via uh, marketing-led growth uh, or sales-led growth will in the end uh, lead to less profitable or less effective growth. While uh, in the contrary, if you uh, let the product be the differentiator, um, you can create yeah, hyper-viral loops in terms of growth. So in essence, I always think that you should invest more in the development of the product And in SaaS, it's the development of features, et cetera. But in e-commerce, it's highly focusing on conversion um, instead of only focusing on getting more customers in and making them less profitable and less effective. I think it's not sustainable to do it like that. Which role does design play in your company? An essential one. So also our development process always starts with design instead of with functional uh, 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 development. Um, so we always div uh, design something first. So how would it look like for the customer? And then we decide how to build it instead of the other way around. So for us, it's an, uh, an essential and vital driver for growth. Uh, that's also the reason that one of the first hire, or actually the first hire, was uh, yeah, was Raymond back then, our, our lead uh, UX designer. Would you, or, or maybe you do it already, uh, outsource software development? Yes. Um, but keep the the core of what you what what makes you different very close to uh, to you. So I would never outsource something that is a fundamental driver for uh, competitive advantage. Um, so if it's so close to your heart, I would never outsource it. But then you need to make sure that you build your company around the thing that differentiates you. If it's more supportive or or, or driven, I would say yes because. There are a lot of companies who are way better in structuring development and, and, and roadmaps, et cetera, than we are. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm actually quite a fan of, of using those resources if you can and if you can find the right partner for it. Growth. 
If you're thinking about the complete funnel from brand to marketing to sales to customer success, do you have all the functions at HelloPrint? Yeah, I would say yes. So brand is starting. So we're we're now a nine-year-old company. So we have always heavily focused on uh, um, on performance marketing. Um, but you see that's changing. Obviously, that whole landscape is changing, and especially in the in the countries where we are a little bit more mature and where the markets are becoming more mature. Yeah, we need to move a little bit more from performance marketing to brand. Um, we have always had a very strong focus on customer experience. So a lot of the a big part of the company is uh, focusing on or obsessed by customer um, experience. So we have a lot of people in customer service. We have a lot of people in, uh, in customer satisfaction uh, because our model is a retention model. So 90% of our revenue is a returning revenue. So having very happy customers, having a high MPS, having a high customer satisfaction score is at the core of what we do. Yeah, and all the other um, uh, areas you mentioned are, are covered in the, in the company. Um, is any of these in the lead for the growth pro uh, process? Yeah, we're actually working on redesigning our integrated growth approach currently. Uh, so I would say that so what's always leading for us is customer satisfaction. And it's, it's basically the same answer uh, that you get uh, on your previous question with regards to product-led growth. This is basically customer-led growth. And I think it's the same. So if you if you ensure that your customers are happy, then they will logically return and uh, make sure that the the growth wheel is uh, growing by itself. So so that that one is always leading in the, in our approach. That's interesting because to be to be fair and to be honest, uh, that's not something that we hear often, but makes a lot of sense to me. It's usually focus is very much or the, the the lead is very much on actually getting the customers and then somebody is still looking after keeping them making them happy um, but actually to think this funnel basically from the end in order to as you mentioned uh, strengthen retention which is necessary in order to build a successful SaaS business it's uh, yeah makes yeah, totally I mean, so it's, it's 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 pretty strange that 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 companies are not focusing on it i think because in the end, so so our, our focus is massively on the performance of our cohorts. So we want to ensure that every customer we, we got into the model in the past also stays or at least stays in the pattern that we expect them to stay and, and, and hope that they are accelerating even a bit. And if you if you crack that code, then you have a very uh, high growth model with high efficiency. Standard problem that a lot of B2B companies have is that all these functions work in silos. And especially, I mean, like when times are good, nothing is a problem. But in case the revenue doesn't come in, then they start to blame each other. How do you make sure that this doesn't happen? Yeah, well, it happens. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> I think that's, uh, that, 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 that's what, what it does. So it's a difficult question because it's, it's inevitable a bit, I think. So those, you want those um, those areas to work uh, integrated from each other with each other, but also you want to have you, you want to ensure that they have their own KPIs. And um, so, for example, having marketing leads structured in the company is marketing, and making sure that they are onboarded properly are sales KPIs. And you need to make sure that. So, so I think that my answer is it's a very long answer, but the answer is setting the right KPIs. So that's and that sounds very easy, but setting KPIs I think is one of the most challenging things in growing companies. So really ensuring that people are accountable for the right KPI on team level, on individual level, and then really ensure that, that those KPIs are also being lived upon. 
And, um, but it's not an easy thing. How important is brand for you? You already mentioned that you're basically going deeper into it now uh, after being a nine-year-old company. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, brand was always primarily our employer brand. So the way we perceive culture and how we position the company uh, is totally reflecting, I think, to the labor market. So we attract the right talent, etc. And that is a constant process. But at the other hand, that was totally not visible in our uh, in our e-commerce brands for for customers. And that's on itself. It's strange because we're yeah. So why would you develop a brand for your talent? which can't resonate for your customers who are actually also B2B customers. So you can also inspire them with them. So we're changing that now. And one of the, the hot topics for, for this year is to, yeah, to, to ensure that the HelloPrint brand is being yeah, developed in the, in the proper way. It's in itself a fun brand. It's a nice name, but we need to make sure that also our customers are, um, uh, are seeing what we have as intrinsic motivation and, and DNA. So it's a um, yeah, it's a growing thing, and like I said, it's even more important in the, in, in in countries where the model is becoming more mature. Uh, you see that uh, the opportunities that you have in performance marketing uh, uh, are becoming less effective. So then you need to yeah move up in the in the funnel uh, and make sure that you do more upper funnel marketing to in the end uh, convert a customer into a um, yeah into a customer, yeah, lead yeah. into a customer. We're coming back to that in a moment. Yeah. Just quickly on the brand. So how do you approach it? How do you want to um, sharpen and and, and uh, push out the, the HelloPrint brand? Yeah. So we're taking two steps back. So uh, we're doing uh, just like the early days. We're going into brand sessions right now. Uh, we're redefining uh, the core DNA of the, the, the brand. Um, and then we're going to yeah, develop all the channels and and. And the brand and the and the websites uh, ourselves. We do that actually with the help of your team. So that's uh, that's a nice thing to do. Back to marketing. Which channels do you use, and why specifically these channels? So we always start in every new market for every new product with uh, with Google Ads or or PPC in the broadest uh, shape or form, or shopping or Bing. Or uh, so why? It's it's the 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 obvious uh, answer I think because it's super measurable and there is no there's no blur, particularly in new markets. We always have the mantra of if it doesn't work in performance marketing, then it doesn't work uh, anywhere. So we never test a new channel before we crack the code on our top product in a new country. Make sure that the conversion ratio is good. Uh, make sure that we can uh, get the leads in against uh, proper CPCs. And if that's working, we're moving onto new channels. Okay. Well, next question is a tricky one then. Um, are you afraid that performance marketing might be dying soon? So the, the old con concept, I think, of channel-based, silo-shaped, uh, pure campaign management performance, that's indisputably going to, 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 to change. That's, that's obvious, I think. But if you have an integrated view on, on growth and if you measure your channels properly and attribute them in the right way, And then I, I still think there is a, there's a, there's a huge opportunity to do performance marketing. But it's not the performance marketing that we are used to from the early days. And everyone needs to understand that. I think also the profession of being a performance marketeer has so massively changed over time, uh, where, where a few years ago it was a sort of an engineering role. Uh, and now it's, now it's way more moving into the creative space of, uh, of things, I think. 
So yeah, marketing teams need, need to adapt to that. And, and, and the marketeers themselves also need to learn how to become more creative. And I have a lot of discussions with my team about that as well, because they are data-driven performance marketeers and they are not, in essence, the creative uh, guys or girls who now need to make a difference. So yeah, balancing that out, I think, is the, the answer on performance marketing towards future. You do have salespeople in your organization, right? Yeah, but limited. So we're actually building a, a sales or a e-team right now um, with some SDRs. For us, it's uh, particularly new. So uh, we are in a space where we attract uh, very small customers, very small B2B customers um, at large scale. So we have around 700,000 small customers. Uh, their value is significant low. So we have low um, lifetime values. Um, with high margins. Um, so sales is, is not the most scalable channel to do so. Now we're moving more into our API model where we attract large publishers around the globe, um, large uh, advertising agencies, etc. Sales will become a more prominent channel. Um, we haven't cracked the code there yet. We're not experienced there yet. Um, but what I've learned over, over the, the short period that we are in this uh, space is that it's so much more process-driven than we ever had imagined that it's a systematic business that needs a totally different approach than we are currently uh, applying to it. Mm -hmm. Even though you're basically building up that now, but uh, what's, your, what's your take? Um, because we see that a lot of companies in the digital space have actually struggles to find good digital savvy salespeople. Where do you think do you best find those? Yeah, that's a tricky question, I think. I think this is exactly a, the, one of the large problems. So sales is a sort of old school business where people are very much used to old mantras and, and old processes and approaches. And what you need in the current uh, 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 era is highly digitalized salespeople who, who really know those, um, yeah, those, those fundamental metrics. So what we see also in, in, in some companies where I invest in is, uh, so train them and, 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 and learn them yourself because finding them, I think that's, that's difficult. And also changing their old habits is so much more work than just ensuring that you have a good academy, teach them, give them your fundamentals and yeah, and, and, and develop them. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Data. How does data make HelloPrint successful? Yeah, like I said, so we are a fully data-driven uh, or obsessed company. So everything we do is, is based on data. So we can't imagine a world where data is not leading in everything we do. So it's not even that we have only a data uh, team, but yeah, almost everyone in the company is, has a sort of data background or, or, or at least we, we want all the people in the company to have that. Um, yeah, and it's so obvious uh, within Elebrint. So without that, uh, we can't do it. And it's also, I think, our clear, distinct uh, competitive advantage towards future. Um, because of the fact that we are a marketplace model, we have connected over 300 uh, producers to our network and almost all the carriers in Europe. We have billions of, of SKUs. Or, or individual individual products. We have so much data, and and basically everything we do is based on uh, on those data points. Yeah, I guess that answers to some extent the next question. Because in many companies, data is a support function of marketing, for example, 
but actually it can do so much more. It can support in actually every area in, in product and in people and et cetera. Um, so that is the case in, 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 at HelloPrint, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, so in, in, in marketing, it's, it's a vast part of the marketing team. Uh, in supply, it is what they do. So, so our, our, our core product that we develop is called Hello Match that makes the matching between the network of producers, uh, the carriers that we have, and the large database, the huge database of product options. So on itself, that is a data uh, uh, department. Uh, and then we have also our data team, uh, which is supporting all the other areas in the company. So we have data engineering there, we have data analytics there, uh, we have some data science there, and they are supporting the teams uh, uh, whenever they need it, but also proactively. And is your data team supposed to answer specific questions or do they have the freedom of exploring what's there and find opportunities and push them into the teams? Yeah, so they work two-folded. So they delegate specialists to every team, but, to, but they, uh, they, are, they will remain part of the data team so that they can uh, learn, develop and, and share. Um, so they're doing the things that they are asked to do, but they have total liberty to, yeah, to, to persuade the rest of the company with their insights, um, uh, yeah, to, to, to let the company thrive. So also, for example, at our monthly keynote, uh, the data team has a, a, a spot sometimes and they just present their findings and, and also to, yeah, to, to evolve the mindset. Because in the end, I think being a data-driven company Highly depends, obviously, on the quality of the data you have and the team you have. But most and foremost, most it's a mindset thing. Uh, so, so the people in the company need to be really aware of the fact that data can massively accelerate your 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 company growth. And only when you have the right people there, I think you will be successful in that. And and still, it's uh, we we see that often that. The data very clearly recommend doing one thing and the people say, no, I know better and, and they want to do something else. How can you ensure that people do what the data recommend? Yeah, well, sometimes it's even the opposite, I would say. So sometimes I think the, the biggest problem of data is, is how you interpret it. I think the good use of data starts with having very extremely clear hypotheses Uh, on, on what you want to prove. And sometimes I tend to see that people using their data to convince themselves to follow a certain approach. So it's a, it's a little bit of the other way around. So sometimes you need to add a layer of gut feeling to the data they see to say, hey, do, do you really think the data is showing this to you? Okay. So uh, so it's, yeah, the, the problem is twofolded, I think. Uh, sometimes people don't want to let themselves com be convinced with data. And sometimes they want to use the data to, um, yeah, to make themselves convinced uh, to follow a certain approach. So both is tricky, I would say. On the more technical side, which tools or infrastructure do you use in, in, in the data area? Yeah, so we, we use a, a stack that in the industry is known as a modern data stack. Uh, so we have a, a BigQuery uh, as a data warehouse uh, to uh, uh, as a database structure. Um, 
We're going to reuse Mara for uh, for the data warehouse. We're going to replace that uh, in the near future by Airflow. Uh, we have segment for web tracking, Stitch for synchronizing, Mode for data analysis, Data Studio for self service BI. Well, I can go on and on and on. I think uh, so. It's a, it's a big stack. Do you publish this information? Because some some companies for whom it's important, they actually even publish their stack, which which can also attract talent and and also shows your strength in that. Yeah, so that's uh, on the roadmap to do so and to also be a little bit more of, of a thought leader in this space. Uh, we've invested significantly in the team uh, over the course of the last years, uh, worked uh, uh, intensely together with you guys as well on, uh, on developing uh, uh, our, our, our stack here. And we're actually also quite proud of it. Uh, and it's now ready for the next step. So it's a little bit too much self-serviced, self-managed, self-developed. And over the course of the next, uh, yeah, let's say half year, we also need to make the change into more open source and a more uh, yeah, serviced uh, uh, infrastructure and tool set. How is your data team structured? Which roles do you have there? Yeah, so um, um, we have uh, Rinke who's leading uh, it as a head of data. And then we have a data analytics team, data engineering team, and some people are doing reporting. Um, and basically, in, in the teams, we have the specialists for every particular business area. So we have some, some analysts on supply, on customer experience, on marketing, uh, uh, on, on demand. Uh, and they are basically delegated to the teams, work in the teams, more or less half, and work half in the data team yeah, to keep accelerating also their knowledge uh, so that we can keep growing uh, there. Where's the data team located in your org chart and uh, the, the person leading the data team, where does this person report to? So where do you, where do you put it there? Yeah, so it's, uh, it should be a, a separated uh, department. So that's, that's very clear. Uh, so we're restructuring it uh, um, as we speak in that capacity. Um, for a believer, if you are a data company, then it needs to have management team responsibility. So yeah, the, the, the one who leads data is part of the management team and uh, it should be a very strong and powerful team there. Um, yeah, for other companies, it, it, I think it, it highly depends on where the, uh, where the, yeah, the most efforts should be, uh, 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 yeah, should be, sh should be given. So if you are more a marketing performance company, I would say, yeah, make it part of marketing. Uh, if you're more a supply company, make it part of supply. If it's highly spread, make it part of uh, yeah operations. Um, it, it also depends on who is leading it. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity for you? I think it's a given. Yeah, so I mean, so we need to be compliant. We are compliant uh, in that respect. And, and that's what it is, I would say. And um, yeah, I think in Germany, it's a little bit more strongly perceived, I would say, than, uh, than in other countries. We're, we're not really active in Germany yet. Uh, yet, I must say, uh, but more to come. Um, yeah, so for us, it's it's a given. Environmental, social, and governance. Why didn't you, instead of HelloPrint, start an ESG company? Well, it's a good uh, question because I'm highly uh, involved in many initiatives uh, in this in this space. A firm believer of giving back to the world. And uh, but nine years ago, yeah, we didn't start this company with. The idea in mind that we needed to change the world. Having said that, we're in such a polluting industry. It's uh, one of the largest uh, worldwide industries, the printing and customization industry, that 
the impact that we can make by changing the model and, and using our marketplace model to change the way producers uh, perceive uh, how they produce and uh, how supply chains are structured. Um, yeah, gives us also the motivation uh, not only to create the world's largest marketplace for customized print products, but also to create the world's largest and most sustainable marketplace for customized print products. And that's actually what we have changed in the in the new vision and mission document that we have created. Um, uh, and that's also the reason that we have incorporated now quite a strong ESG uh, strategy within the company. If you look at uh, rather short and midterm, what does HelloPrint do today in order to help our environment? Yeah, so what we have done is uh, we established a um, uh, su sustainability team and also a sustainability strategy based on a, a, for, uh, 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 on a few pillars, um, all connected to the uh, United Nations um, environmental goals. Um, because So the why is important there. Because if you don't make it an integrated and vest part of your strategy, it always becomes a area which you can easily skip because we are in a scale-up um, environment, literally. We always have uh, two less resources. And only when you yeah, force the company to make it a goal, you will actually uh, reach those goals. So we, we have goals on in, in many areas. Um, uh, so, so first is to integrate sustainability into the DNA of HelloPrint. That's the first step. Um, we're now working on a new sustainability supply chain strategy where we really want our network of 300 producers to work in a different way. Uh, we have the goal to become CO2 neutral by 2030. Uh, we have goals around driving communities uh, within our impact area. Um, we're changing the offering on the website to become a way more sustainable company with uh, choices for our customers uh, in terms of CO2 emissions instead of only price and, uh, um, and and turnaround. And we want to become fully transparent when it comes down to yeah, environmental and social impact. So we have quite a yeah, quite an impactful um, strategy uh, developed. Now it's all about execution, obviously. Which, which role uh, does social ex aspects uh, play in the way you run your business? Yeah, uh, a, a lot. So, so we want to give back Uh, wherever we can. So we, we support many, many uh, social initiatives uh, across countries. Um, we want our team to be involved as much as possible in, in, in social uh, projects. Um, we're going to um, implement also some strategies with regards to people on how to give back. So it's a very important uh, area of, uh, uh, of attention. Finally, what's probably least looked at, governance. Which criteria do you follow here? Yeah, so we have three uh, uh, of the USG goals uh, connected to this uh, particular topic. Uh, I think the most important is um, responsible consumption and production because in our industry, um, we can make a lot of impact when we offer uh, replaceable products instead of uh, the current uh, products we, uh, we use. So one of the most impactful things we're currently doing is that together with a partner from Silicon Valley, EcoCard, we're rating all the producers in our network um, and make sure that their emissions and the, the materials they use are fully transparent and translate that into the offering that we have on the website. Uh, so that's that's one of the most important things. But also, um, yeah, being fully accountable, because I think that's the most important part of, of the G, of ESG. 
So we're going to uh, create a pledge report where we really state the sustainability um, uh, strategy uh, in the core uh, of what we do. Uh, we're going to publish an annual uh, ESG report this year for the first uh, um, for the first time, uh, so that that our customers and partners can really make us accountable for what we do. Uh, and, yeah, and we're going to improve sustainability-related information throughout our channels more and more. Um, and I think it's it's really it really comes down to this. So I also am a firm believer if if we really want to change uh, the way companies work, we need to make this. Uh, a necessity so that you don't only publish your yearly reports uh, in terms of financials, but also that you need to uh, publish your um, yearly ESG report. Um, and that's the only way of, uh, so being fully transparent and accountable is the only way of, of changing the way businesses work towards this, this goal. Do you think investors have understood this and are acting accordingly? Like if your company is a startup that is trying to get funding, And, and you invest in ESG, does it help your funding or would investors rather say, oh, they're not focusing enough on, on revenue? Well, I would say it should. And I think every investor that takes itself serious and want to be a well-known uh, and recognized investor uh, over the next decades should make this an integrated part of their investment strategy. And if you don't do it, then um, and you only let profit profit lead your decision making process. I think there will be no future for you as an investor. But that's my uh, entrepreneurial opinion. I'm not a uh, big investor, so. Do you have something like an ESG officer uh, at HelloPrint, or who's responsible actually for these topics? Yeah, we have uh, established a, um, a ESG team uh, with uh, two um, sustainability officers. Uh, they currently report uh, directly to um, to the CFO, to Leonard and to me. Um, and in the near future, sustainability will also be a separated department, uh, just like data, to ensure the importance of it also in the management team. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? <clears throat> I have two. Is that also uh, possible? So one is an obvious one, a big one. So Masters of Skill of Reed Hoffman. I'm a big fan of uh, of that podcast. But we now have a quite a quite a good one uh, in the Netherlands as well. It's the Skill Lab of Constantijn uh, van Oranje and Joe Wilson, where they invite super nice, uh, fast growing uh, founders from the Netherlands and uh, and abroad um, yeah, to tell their story. Um, so you should listen to that. The Skill Lab. Okay. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? So I think the main one is never compromise on culture. Uh, it's, it's so super important uh, that you develop your company based on the culture that you think will lead to, uh, to success. Um, that, it, that it, in my opinion, should always be leading in every decision you make. And, in the end, it's your culture that's bringing the long-term sustainable competitive advantage and, and not by itself the business model uh, because that's easy to copy. So that would be my firm advice. Never compromise on that. And if you need to make tough decisions, always reflect back to the initial thoughts you had with regards to culture. So that's one. Second one, I think make sure that you constantly keep structuring your company. And... That's 
so you're always too late with structuring the company. So if you need to do it in hindsight, it's it's much more difficult than that you foresee how the company should look like in 12 to 18 months from now, or maybe even further. So I would always say, always have an org chart next to your uh, desk and always keep drawing. Uh, and it, that's not only the organizational structure, but it's also, for example, how your cap table should be uh, structured. So, so pay a lot of attention when you start on those very important elements, which are not important at that particular moment, but can massively influence the growth of your company in the, in the near or, or later future. I can from firsthand experience uh, confirm that you are doing that. And it's, and it's actually really great. Um, it made me think, and I, I also started to do the same thing. Great. <laughs> last, last question. Who are the two founders I should ask this set of questions and you will make an introduction for me? Uh, yeah, we have, so I uh, need to be a little bit nationalistic here. So uh, we have very good uh, founders in the Netherlands, obviously, but also from our own Rotterdam region, which I need to promote a little bit. Otherwise, other people get, get mad. So um, I would uh, ask um, some, some questions to uh, Gerald Habets of Schiphol. It's a super fast growing digital freight forwarding uh, platform from, uh, from uh, our very own Rotterdam. Uh, amazing story. They're under the radar a bit and they're, they're growing massively fast. The second one is uh, I would um, uh, ask uh, Max Kleinstra of Otrium, uh, who are on a mission of uh, uh, the fact that all clothing should be worn. Um, uh, the same questions. Great founder, great founding team, great company, very nice mission. Uh, and I would uh, love to do the introductions for you. Then please do so. Uh, Hans, thank you very much. That was very interesting. Thanks a lot for your time and your 42 answers. Um, thanks to the audience for listening and stay tuned for next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.